You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. We often talk about the theater as a community and how the art of collaboration is a bedrock of what it means to work in theater. Yet at the same time, the performing arts are full of unique paths and solo journeys. And today's guest embodies those two sides of the same theater coin. My name is Tiasha Vermey. I'm originally from Slovenia, but now I live in New York. I have been here for the last 15 years. I'm an actor, I'm a playwright, and I'm also the artistic director of Transforma Theater, which is dedicated to creating interactive theatrical experiences at the convergence of science, consciousness, and ritual. I'm also an urban shaman woman. Tiasha is more than an actress. She's a dynamic creator who writes, produces, and stars in her own work. Her artistic vision revolves around transformation, pushing the boundaries of what is possible and challenging the traditional relationships between actors and audiences. In this episode, Tiasha shares her journey from Europe as a rock star's daughter and early experiences on the Slovenia stage to becoming a fearless actress and artistic director in the heart of New York City. We'll dive into the stories that shaped her, whether it's learning what makes a great headshot or being motivated to start creating her own theater pieces that blend science and stage into one theatrical exploration. We don't really know anything about consciousness, but you know, my whole show is about consciousness. But basically, I was like, this is it. This is my magic formula. Like, you can't say no to this pitch. And to some degree, I was right. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Why I'll Never Make It. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for more than 30 years. Every other week, I talk with fellow creatives who bring us stories from their own life of personal struggles and professional hardships with lessons we can all learn from. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can subscribe, donate, and find past episodes. Again, that's whyillnevermakeit.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Tiasha. It is so wonderful to meet you. I am so happy to have you on the podcast today. It's so amazing to meet you, and I'm so happy to be here. Now, one thing I love about your story is that your dad is a rock star. This was back in Slovenia. He, they would put me on stage when I was about to give me a tambourine, and I would run around and play and dance. But I mean, yeah, that was really informative in my life, that my dad was basically a stage person. Well, yeah. And if he's bringing you up at two years old, then of course you want to just keep doing that. I I mean, it was like crack, you know, (laughs) I actually, I was in in the first play when I was eight and I was cast as an evil witch and I was so high. Literally, I was possessed reading the text. I was possessed. And later on, after the performance, my mom said, like, how do you like this? And I said, mom, I was on a God's frequency. And I'm like, 
my parents are totally secular. Do you know what I mean? I'm not even baptized. Nothing. I've been to church as a tourist for most of my life, not religiously. So where this came from at eight was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Even at a young age, you just, you felt on another plane. You were yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to be high all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and communion with the gods forces that come through me and with the audience like you just feel them so much when you're out there you feel everything absolutely well i mean yeah in a grander sense that that is something that we're doing when we're on stage we're in in touch with this different part of ourselves but also a different part of something that's out there that is almost uh, almost un indescribable it's sometimes especially when you're as you say when you're in that high moment when you're in that that kind of i don't know where this is coming from but it's it's all just there it's the best I think that if you ask any actor, like, what are their favorite things in the world? They'll say first being on stage, second, having sex. And then, you know, like maybe there's like two other things in life. Eating for me, <laughs> eating. If there's good food, if I can find some good food. Yeah. That's, that's always one of my great pleasures as well. Eating, sleeping, being in nature. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it's all about connecting to something else, whether to another person, to food, to nature, there's this connection that the, the actors just, I think, intrinsically have within us and since that. two years yeah. old you've been connecting to, to the stage it, in that way yes 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 <laughs> well well let's get into this first story and for this first one we're going to talk about one of the basic needs of any actor and that is the headshot but in slovenia you went to the national academy for performing which is basically their equivalent of juilliard you know very exactly. prestigious uh place and there you didn't need a headshot you were known but um when you came to New York, you did realize that headshots were pretty important. So with your time in Slovenia, that though you didn't need a headshot, was auditioning pretty much the same process as we do here in New York? We didn't really audition. So basically, this, this was my situation. I went to the National Academy. While I was in the third year, I was cast in Cabaret, the musical. And then I was um, in that for about a year. And then I was in a professional show at the National Theater. Uh, basically like I don't know, the Kennedy Center or the Lincoln Center. Um, and this all happened really organically because it's such a small community. Do you know what I mean? You see these people all the time. You're, you're drinking beers with them. You go out on coffee with them. You meet them at the concerts. And it's, um, it's a part of the culture that basically as a new generation of actors is being brought out from the Academy that all the directors, all the actors go and watch them and see their productions and make sure that they meet with them. So yeah, you don't need a headshot. You're just like, you're one of the players in the community. People know you. Which is so interesting because it sounds like networking rather than auditioning or, you know, going through that kind of process, it really is about networking. So you, you know, the people, that are casting and hiring rather than needing to prove yourself, you're basically showing yourself your, your actual person to them rather than your skills per se. Exactly. And it's so funny because I guess I never thought at 20 years old that I'm networking, but that's exactly <laughs> what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was just living life to the fullest, you know, and meeting the best people in the industry and learning by absorbing, by being in the presence of them. So would you say it was easy to stand out as an actor within that community in Slovenia? I would think so. Yeah, because it was really based on, you know, again, the connection, right? Now that I'm casting, I'm always thinking, can I work with this person? Do I like this person? Do I want to spend, you know, 
10 hours a day with this person. So I think this was just sort of like ingrained in this process of social socialization together. And then, you know, you can, you can be your true self. You have to be your true self. And when it comes to theater in general, w would you say it's very similar to what you found in New York or are there stark differences? Oh my God. Everything is totally different. Basically there's not a lot of commercial theater. Um, one of the theaters is doing musicals, but otherwise Slovenian theater is very maybe akin to German theater. So it's kind of, you know, Hochkultur, <laughs> you know, high culture. Um, you know, everything's about art. And, you know, in some ways it's really snobby, but on, in the other ways, it's like really pushing boundaries. Oh my God. You know, it's also hilarious because most of the theaters are really sponsored by the country. They're financed by the country, and most of the plays are anti-system, <laughs> you know? So, like, the country's paying to basically poop on the country in the show or through the context. Also, like, I think a huge difference in theater, in, you know, between Slovenia and New York or United States is that it's, um, it's a culture where really the director is the main artist. It's an, he's an interpretive artist or she or more that. so than the writers or more so than the writers exactly uh i feel like everybody's like always looking for a way to break the mold and to you know take a play and put it in an extremely current politically agonizing you know context um and you know obviously you know new york or the usa has a very stark focus on, on 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 the writer and it's almost like it feels like uh the usa is developing the perfect play whereas you know europe is really kind of like always looking at how can we shatter the whole thing and then reassemble it in, in through a totally different lens so there's like a little bit more freedom instilled in how to go about staging plays because you're not trying to be true to something that somebody else has written but you're trying to really kind of like look into what does this mean to me today what does this mean uh in, in in a larger you know political and global context um it's a different process well it also sounds like that Within the U.S., at least what I've experienced, it's all about the audience. What do they want to hear? What do they want to see? What are they going to pay for? So it's all about making sure the audience is kind of front and center and then catering the theater, the art, whatever it is around them, where it sounds like it's probably the reverse in Slovenia. I, I think you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So then going from Slovenia to New York, you were basically, you know, you were this big fish in a little pond, as you say, of community. So what made you want to come to New York and be this very small fish in a huge pond? It was this instinct. It was this dream. It was also like um, when I was a teenager, I went to a lot of international theater workshops um, all throughout Europe. And whoever I ever met, they were like, oh my God, you're such a New Yorker. You should really go to New York. And I was like, what does that even mean? They were like, you can talk to anybody, anybody. Um, and then I remember that at some point in Ljubljana, in the capital, I met this French tourist who had uh, his bag got lost. So he was kind of stuck. He didn't know what to, what to do. And we were in this complex that was really an ex-communist prison or socialist prison um, that was now transformed into this like incredibly vibrant uh, artist community full of sculptures, full of concert halls, uh, graffiti everywhere. So I said, come on, come on, like, let me give you a tour. 
And he was kind of like, um, I guess like an amateur documentary filmmaker. And, you know, he, he took everything and he was like, wow, like you should go to New York. And so when he said it, I was like, I don't know. It was this like strange mystery of like, yeah, I was attracted to that idea. And then it was just said so many times, like for kind of like an uncanny reason that mm-hmm. I was like, let's go, let's do this. Like, I don't know. I was just curious and like hungry for, for challenges. I was really ambitious. Also, I don't, you know, I, I, maybe I should bring this up. I feel like alcoholism is a really big problem of actors in Slovenia. And it was something that didn't appeal to me. Um, I wanted to, I, I had this desire to grow and to move, um, not to be, you know, stuck and, and, and cater to these addictive habits. And it's very easy to. Right. It's very easy to be like, oh, you know, I have the perfect role. I have a steady position in this national theater. This is what I've always wanted. Surely this is, I guess, like at that point, also what I had always wanted. But um, it was it was it was a thing that I was like, there's got to be something more. And I don't want to be stuck in this, you know, like marble everything and, you know, drink in the basement and then go to the stage. Now, is American theater, I, I assume American film is as well, but is American theater uh, a big presence in Slovenia? Do they bring a lot of American works there or English works? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. I think that they mostly bring European theater, sort of like out there, very artsy European theater. A lot of devised pieces. I would say they bring a lot of, you know, German stuff. They bring a lot of stuff from the Netherlands. Um, they also bring really kind of like off the cuff companies, you know, from different parts of the world. But I wouldn't say that it's like American theater or even British theater is the norm at all. Uh, You know, American television. I grew up with American television, but not American theater. So in moving to New York, this was a cultural change. This was a theatrical change. So there was a lot to get used to. And again, back to our topic of the headshot, this was also something you had to learn as well. <laughs> now, what was it that led you to realize, oh, I now need a headshot and what that means? Um, I guess like I asked a few people, like, where do I go? How do I audition for roles? And they said, oh, you know, Mandy and Actors Access and I, Backstage. Um, so I went on and I saw everybody said, you know, send a headshot and resume. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And so, um, I saw, I saw this class or a free seminar about, you know, like intro to the industry, get your headshot right. And I was like, oh my God, I need to go. But this thing said, bring your own headshot. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I've been a part of like a few photo shoots, but they were in like headshot photo shoots. Like I wasn't even sure what's the difference between a headshot and a portrait, right? So I just, you know, took the best portrait I had from like the side, just like this, <laughs> or maybe it was this side and brought it in. And, you know, like I was this like fairy in the forest laying in the leaves. <laughs> and, <clears throat> Brilliant. And when, when we came in, we kind of like had to give it away and I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And so like, you know, like this ballsy woman, very well known in the industry is kind of like flipping through a stack of headshots. And then she says, is this what a headshot supposed to look like? And she pulled out mine. The whole room goes, no. <laughs> and I just felt like so booed and so embarrassed. Um, and then, you know, I think then she she pulled out a few of like, yes, these are the ones. So, you know, I was the bad example. And this was like, you know, my 
entry, you know, into the industry. So <laughs> I, I was hurt. It was painful for a little bit. I just, you know, I felt like, oh my God, everybody in New York saw, saw me fail. <laughs> So I assume shortly thereafter, you got your real headshot. I did. Now, let me let me think. Do I even remember my first photo session? I do. I do. You know what? I have to tell you. I think that's probably my best shot, headshot. Like, it, it's, it's the most raw, the most magic. The makeup wasn't perfect, but the headshot photographer was incredible. And there was just like a moment of, you know, something happening. Yeah. As they say, our headshot is the calling card for actors. And so it really is, I mean, especially in New York, it's certainly one of those important things that you have to have the right look. And then, of course, like if you're going in for the villain or you're going in for the love interest or you're going in for TV versus theater, I mean, we need to have all these different kind of looks. And, and which which brings its own kind of, uh, you know, payment, you have to pay for it, but then also just like figuring out those different looks and making sure you give that in the session. It's It's its own process. Um, yeah, it's like, I, I, I don't want to say that I'm resentful of that process, but that, you know, like, I <laughs> well, you am can say it because all of us, it's like, why? I am I just definitely wanna... on a spectrum. Cause it's like the same process every single time. Don't, don't tell this to anybody, but I'm, my calling card, my best calling card is actually a headshot from 10 years ago. <laughs> no, no, I, I still use one of mine from several years back. You know, I have more recent ones, but, the, but yeah, as you say, there's that magical element. It's like the one shot, that one second at one moment where it's like yes there it is i just want to keep that exactly i look pretty and i look kind of unhinged you can sense that there's like a little bit of danger Something hiding in there. there and it works it really works like in comparison to any other headshot at any other given time this headshot really gets me auditions so you know why change marlena dietrich said when you find perfection why try to reinvent it just do the same thing over again. It works. Well, let's move on to your second story. And this deal's kind of going back to your networking that you were talking about earlier. Because when you moved to New York, you had a contact. You had someone that you knew. So you weren't completely alone in New York. However, this person wasn't as helpful as I guess you hoped <laughs> they would be. So this was the story. I came to New York and I knew this one playwright, which was doing very well at the time. And actually I knew her because she toured in Slovenia and I was um, in a show in a new series of shows that she wrote when I was in Slovenia. So I felt like we were close and we had like, you know, like some magical connection because her play was magical. And I came in and I was like, Hey, I'm here. You know, like, like she's been waiting for me. Like she has nothing else to do. And I said, Hey, you got any shows for me? And then I think the second email was like, Hey, would you write, would you write a show for me? And then maybe the third email was like, you know, I've been thinking, I really want to be in a one woman show. Would you write a one woman show for me? You know, like not thinking that, you know, this person might be interested in a compensation or anything like that. Anyways, look, I was a young brat looking for opportunities and I can really forgive her. I, I get her. It's okay. And, you know, I think that sooner or later, I would realize that a part of the hustle in New York is that you generate your own content. Obviously, there's a lot of different ways. And if you have, you know, good connections, or if you went to school, let's say at NYU or Columbia, then you have these groups, then you have your communities, then you have your cliques. But I didn't have that. You know, I came from somewhere else. So I really had nothing. And I needed to create my own community. And I will say I was lucky 
Do you know what I mean? Like very quickly, I realized that, um, okay, I'm going to write my own show. It's going to be a one woman show. It's going to be very Grotowski. It's going to be very physical theater. It's going to be mixed with Karen Finley, kind of in your face kind of show. And it's going to be called, I want a penis. <laughs> that was the first title that came. <laughs> yeah, that was the first title. And I was like, it's really provocative. Sounds great. Everybody will come, you know, I'm going to buy. So a part of my props was these like sandbags. I bought a ton of them. Cause I was sure that, you know, I just did it in bulk. Cause I was like, you know, this is going to get picked up. You know, this might end up on Broadway. I mean, I was that delusional. Um, and then through a friend, I met another friend who was a painter and kind of like lived in this house in Bushwick which was but really for like the the Garifuna community and you know group meals and all this kind of situation but I didn't know that. Now, now this is not a community I'm familiar with. What what exactly does that that mean? I think they're like a religious community that like like uh, they dance together, they create music together, they play drums together and also just like a, a bunch of them live together in a house in a bushwick and um you know, they had like a little community center. Well, actually the rehearsal space was in the chapel, but I made friends and, you know, then I got my free rehearsal space in the chapel in Bushwick. And, you know, this was like now 15 years ago. I, I just like, I had no concept of anything, you know, which, was, which, which can be good. Like, like when you're yeah. ignorant of the, the rules, quote unquote, that you're supposed to do, then you just kind of throw everything out there. You go for it. And yeah, you may have, you know, maybe the playwright, <laughs> your contact didn't appreciate all the emails, but <laughs> you know, you're just like throwing things up against the wall, seeing what sticks and, and there can be joy in that, but there's also like a freedom to just, you're going your own way and you kind of find your own path that way. Exactly. And you stretch and I feel like, you know, less concept uh, of what you're doing wrong, less judgment. So it just, yeah, like you said, it's joyful and it's open and you just try different things, you know, uh, this life is one big laboratory and we're our own experiment. Well, I think that that's been one of my hardest things. You know, networking has never been my biggest skill, especially as an actor, because my training was, here's the play, let's study that character, become that character, present it the best way. But, you know, it's all about the process. It's all about receiving something and then delivering it rather than creating my own thing. Yes, I may be creating a character, but it's already written down for me. So this act of creation has never been something that's been my go-to because my training was to receive rather than to create. Mm. Did you feel that you were adept or more adept at creating as, as you were as receiving? That's a really deep question. You know, I never framed it this way, but I'm sorry. First thing that I want to address is like you were saying that you're not necessarily good in networking. Oh my God. If I saw you in a room, I'd so gravitate towards you because <laughs> you're really open and luminous and kind and maybe flexible. And these are all like, you know, actor qualities that I love to work with. So hello, you know, like trust hello. yourself in terms of networking. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think that I'm just. I think that even as an actor, I think I was extremely generative and that, you know, I think that I worked in a co collaboration between my own instinct of uh, creating and director's input. Um, but as I said before, that there's a lot of freedom, you know, in for interpretive artists in Slovenia. I think that I kind of came out empowered to sort of like 
create something that, you know, I'm not only listening to what I'm supposed to be doing. Of course I, I take in and then, you know, like the entire play and environment shape my idea of who I'm supposed to be. But I, I felt like I felt so much ownership over what I was doing as an actor so that I guess it didn't seem like a totally different thing. Sure. Writing is a totally different thing, but, um, especially because I didn't have any official training in that, that opened up the way of how I express myself, which is like, I do a lot of voice memos. Um, I write a lot by, you know, um, voice to, uh, voice to text. And I feel like that kind of opens up. I don't have like as many writer's blocks or I, I just like, I open up, you know, I tell a story, it's organic. And then I kind of like go and edit it. And that's always been my process. Certainly it's not perfect. And certainly I miss things. And, you know, like in collaboration or with co-writers, I find things how to improve and, and, and formulate, you know, maybe things better. But um, I think that as a process, it's a, it's a really quick process. It works. Yeah, one of the things that I've heard about writing or the best way to write is to just get it all down onto the page or the screen, how, however you want to write it, and then just kind of like let it go. You know, rather than trying to edit, trying to to censor it as you're writing it, to basically let it go and then go back after it's done and then edit. Whereas I find it very difficult to like, I just wrote a sentence. I'm like, oh God, that sounds horrible. I have to fix it. You know, I'm, I'm very much a fix it in the moment rather than get it all out and fix it later. Do you struggle with that as well? No, <laughs> I am very comfortable <laughs> with my first shitty drafts. I think before this was like a concept that I would hear elsewhere, I would just know that this is the beginning and, uh, you know, like something inside of me brought this out for a reason. And now my job is to sort of like find the treasures of it. Well, one of the interesting ones that I, cause I was looking up some of the stuff you've written. One was called love games for couples. This was very interesting. I mean, it is, it is a theater piece. There are, there are plays, I guess, within it, but it's basically for couples to use these plays in order to connect with each other. So, so it's a very intimate kind yeah. of theater writing. I mean, oh my God, again, I don't even know how much I can say on this podcast, but this happened during the pandemic. Um, I attended my friend's Tantra course and it was just so simple and so effective. And then, you know, I had a pandemic boyfriend and then I was doing some pandemic psychedelic, you know, journeys. And literally in one of the journeys, the mushrooms told me that I needed to write this play. Um, display that's going to, you know, serve humanity and uh, make people connect in a better way. So basically, I started writing these scripts that are based on tantra exercises, on conflict resolution exercises, on theater improv. And, you know, it was just one of those pieces that you don't think too much about, but they seem like, I'm sorry, they were commissioned by the mushrooms, literally. Um, it was Again, just one going of the back things to that, that high you feel on stage, you're now bringing it into your writing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was just, it, it, it was it was an intuitive process um, that l it felt like this needed to happen, and then it was done, and then we move on. I did it, I gave it to the world, now we do with it whatever you want. But it's so interesting that, again, again, this is theater for the actual participants rather than any kind of audience. This is, I mean, it's a very intimate kind of theater for, for the two people, three people, however many people there is. Yeah, this is... 
it's for lovers. It's basically for developing the relationship and learning more about yourself. It's, it ultimately always comes down to learning more about yourself, learning more about the partner and just seeing where this takes you. You know, I just feel like, I don't know, sometimes it takes like such small things to discover new kingdoms. And I guess I just wanted to be, you know, one of the facilitators of that of that of that process but yeah it's totally process driven it's not really made for you know an observer an audience member but it's it's a tool for um basically improving the relationship which is so interesting to use theater in that way i mean when we think about theater it is such a it's an audience medium that there needs to be that stage, whatever that's going to be. There needs to be that observer, that audience. And it's that connection that, that, that kind of creates the theater. So it's so interesting to kind of eliminate one of those elements, the audience and just focus on. So it's almost like you're in acting class <laughs> and you're just kind of focused on the process and what, what you're saying and how you're connecting. You know, now that you're saying it, I'm thinking that perhaps when we surprise ourselves, we also are our own audience, right? So that there's like an experiencer and uh, an observer, and then they each other kind of like inform each other so that this like third thing, the new thing can emerge. Well, I mean, yeah, I think any actor, especially as they're beginning, there is that sense of watching yourself as you're doing it. Sometimes it's a judgment voice inside of us, but sometimes it's a trying to figure it out. And so you're kind of feeling your way, you're watching yourself as you figure out whatever this character is going to be. So yes, I guess you're right. There is always an observer, even if it's ourselves observing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now in every episode, you get three stories. But if you want bonus segments with extra audition stories and the final five questions about lessons learned and what making it really means, then what you have to do is subscribe to WinMe at whyillnevermakeit.com. You just click subscribe there or here in the show notes, give this podcast a little money, and you'll get the full episodes with all the stories and bonus segments included. And another benefit of subscribing is that you won't have to listen to any ads either. Now, for this third story, it kind of gets into this use of theater in a different way. And it deals with the forming of your own theater company, Transforma. And yes, you had all these creative ideas. You had this artistic and creative drive. But... Transformer almost came out of something very practical, which is grant writing. Mm-hmm. Because for the various shows that you were creating, you, you need to raise money. You were writing grants. You were trying to get people to support you. And grant writing comes with a lot of rejection. So you wanted to figure out a better way to do this. I was furious. It was years of rejection. Uh, no matter what the press said, no matter what my friends said, no matter how many people came out to see, I couldn't crack the code. And so I was getting really frustrated. And then kind of at the same time, I was working for The Economist. And um, I was basically pitching their sustainability campaigns. And they were just promoting their new section, which was called Future Forces, where 
which was all about neuroscience, artificial intelligence, epigenetics. And at some point I was like, oh my God, like I really need to educate myself about this, you know, if I want to pitch it. And I was intrigued. And so I fell down the rabbit hole of YouTube and Ray Kurzweil and, you know, other futurists and Jason Silva and TED Talks. Oh, my God. And all of a sudden, this idea arose inside of me that I would, you know, basically create a theater piece that would merge women role models and pioneers with neuroscience and neuroscientific experiments, I basically wanted to study how role models impact us, our psyches and our brains, which was a very tall order. Okay. Like neuroscientists can't agree, you know, on the hard problem, whether uh, the consciousness is a property of our brain or if it's channeled from somewhere and our brain as a receptor picks it up. Um, we don't really know anything about consciousness, but you know, my whole show is about consciousness, but basically I was like, this is it. This is my magic formula. Like you can't say no to this pitch. And <laughs> to some degree I was right. And, you know, it could have been that I was just all of a sudden so lit up, so absolutely passionate because this was it for me. And then that rubbed onto other things, but eventually it's like, yeah, we have started getting grants for this work. And I'm very proud about that, you know? And so what do you think was this magic formula that you came up with that went from rejection to acceptance? It was niche. It was finding a niche, not trying to be everybody and everything and cater to everybody. It was, this is extremely specific, right? Combining science and theater, um, having interactive theatrical performances which really have embedded scientific experiments with them within them um to have science guests on stage every night it's a very unique form and i think that um you know science and science communication is just like such a huge huge, huge component of our modern life and um I think that, you know, its job is really to kind of like bring these sometimes hard to understand concepts and, you know, stuff that happens behind closed doors and in laboratories to the people and be like, this is for us. Let's kind of crunch it together. Obviously, you know, a, a lot of science research um, poses a lot of moral questions. And I feel like if you bring it to the audience, you can kind of like chew on this together. And it's also, again, it's more accessible. It's wrapped in a story. It's wrapped in some kind of like personal confession or something that, you know, people can emotionally respond to. And then science is sort of like something that they, um, you know, either intuitively absorb with it or, you know, maybe you have to like use the clickers and work a little bit. But anyways, it's way more digestible than, you know, looking at a, at a, at a super sciencey article and being like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do with this. You know, does, you know, it doesn't really concern me as far as I know, but really a lot of things do concern us, but it's all wrapped in, into this, you know, how to preserve human sovereignty um, and how to incorporate it in a ways that serves us, you know? And I think that humans have to kind of like create a moral matrix of how these things can be used so that not all of a sudden we wake up 20 years away from now. And, you know, like science fiction says, we're the, you know, slave species. Theater and science aren't two things that normally go together. You know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're very different, you know, different parts of the brain. So it sounds like in bringing them together, you're trying to make, in some way you're elevating theater, but also 
bringing down science to a more understandable level. So that way you're kind of having both meet in the middle in some way. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, it's, it's definitely like a negotiation. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I want to say something bombastic or, you know, something definitive because we're in the theater space, right? Um, our first, the first Transforma production was called the Female Role Model Project. And we had a neuroscientist on stage and a neuroscientist, you know, behind the scenes who was really writing the text. And we're looking at the brain activity. And we had, let's say, a few scenes on stage where audience members were paired with actors. They would each share stories and both of them would wear headsets, uh, brain scanners, and we would see their brain activity. And, you know, neuroscientists go, oh, my God, you know, like, I don't know. I'm making this up. Your uh, your temporal lobe is um is is so aroused. I can see a huge emotional arousal, and I'm like, you know, can you be more definitive? Emotional arousal. This can mean a lot of things. Are you sad? Are you mad? Are you happy? And they're like, oh no no no, absolutely not. I can't compromise my scientific you know standing. All you can say is if an area is basically lit up and very active, that you know there's a certain kind of emotional arousal. And then you can, you can look at the context and be like, Oh no, you know, this person saying the story is like extremely delighted and, you know, almost happy. Um, or, you know, this is a sad story. So you can make your own conclusions, but you know, so science is in some ways really like that definitive. Um, and, and as a theater medium, we wished we could say more, but we couldn't because the scientists didn't want to compromise, you know, their own standing in community. And I'm, I understand that. So like the job was really to kind of like, you know, see as much, how can we, how can we make the most win-win situation in an intertwined way? Yeah. Because audiences, they like a definitive ending. Yes. There are those plays or, or even movies that kind of end on a question mark, letting the audience decide what happens or what to make of it. But at the same time, theater is all about asking questions, whether it's just a simple thing about relationships, about how do we interact with our mother, with our lover, whoever it may be. In the same way, science is asking questions. It's trying to get to the bottom of something, but it doesn't always get there. And it seems like that this is the commonality that you found within theater and science. Yeah, the question. I'm super interested. So I have like so many aspects of Libra in me. And, you know, I, I just like, I really like to think or like look at a, a concept or like notion, kind of like look at it from all different things, like as if sides, as if it was like a 3D object in front of me. Um Yeah, it's all about questions. And, you know, I don't want to preach anything. I don't, you know, especially a lot of the science that we bring in is super new. Like a lot of science in general is new. And especially I'm interested in, let's say, if you want to say the obscure, you know, um, research. Um, so yeah, it's all about, I want to engage audiences. You know, maybe this is my like form of activism that, you know, I bring you something, I present it from many different ways. I, you know, I say we should be engaged in some way or, you know, like, you know, warning sign, uh, pay attention. But ultimately, I'm not going to prescribe what to do. It's up to you. It's up to every one of us to, you know, we have the freedom to make our own choices. I'm just sort of like bringing you the material in somewhat of a packaged way. But I think that my job is to present it from many different viewpoints. How would you say that this scientific approach to theater, how would you say that it's impacted you personally as a performer, as an artist? 
Um, I feel like I'm more comfortable with the uncertainty. Um, I am more comfortable with things happening on stage that were like uncharted and unexpected. Um, and actually, you know, engaging with other humans on stage in a more genuine way, you know, less prescribed way. Oh, you know, here is, this is where, what I feel. This is my reaction that I have here. Well, no, what do I actually feel from this human being, which may be a different actor or it might be an audience member. So there's, you know, I think I became comfortable with a lot, a lot, a lot of question marks around me. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Tiasha Ferme and me today. And remember, you can get access to her audition stories and final five questions by going to whyillnevermakeit.com and click subscribe, or just look for the link in the show notes. Well, that about does it for me. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast with Maria Clara Ribeiro as co-producer. Why I'll Never Make It is a production of WinMe Media, with background music used in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions and John Bartman. Be sure to join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.